in order to understand the book of Job, we must understand the uh, God's perspective. God's perspective is that he has confidence in Job. And behind the scenes, he has had a conversation with Satan. And he has agreed to allow Satan to do this to Job. And Job has, from Job's perspective, we have, we have his question being asked, and it's asked all through the book, uh, why will a person serve God? Now, whether you realize it or not, that is the theme that's under really surveillance all the way through the book. Why will a person serve God? And old Satan is the instigator of this. He said, uh, well, uh, you built a hedge around him. Anybody would serve you for all that you give him. And everything was taken away from him. And then his health was taken away from him. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Job's perspective was that God uh, has given all of this and uh, God can take away all of this. And yet, uh, the, he doesn't understand why it's happening, but he, he, he still accepts it. And I'm impressed. I'm impressed that after all of that has happened to Job, that he still praises God and said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, that's not all of it. God's perspective is, you try him. There's not anybody like him from the face of the earth. Now, where do we fit into all of this? What does it mean to us in life that God, it should, that God is real, that God has confidence in man when he's righteous and when he puts him first, when he doesn't serve him for what he gets out of it, but just because he's God. Now, we must get that message because it's here for us to get. And I don't know about you, but if God said, I'll give you a million dollars, at the end of the year, if you attend 52 times this year, now 52 Sundays is not left. But I could find 52 times. Couldn't you? Couldn't you? Sure, I'll take it. I'll take it. But we need to understand that, that the question is asked, why, why does people, and Satan is saying, why do you serve God? Is he real? It's because he's God, you know. And this man did it with limited vision. What was behind his motivation? 
In studying this, what is our vision of God? Now, I'll tell you that Job got disturbed because of God's behavior. He couldn't understand it. And these people that come to him, you remember we studied last time, we studied old Eliphaz, and this man's views uh, may be summed up like this. I went over, uh, just uh, allow me to review it. He resisted, if you were just uh, start with me again uh, in the fourth chapter, in the fourth chapter of Job, and we'll just sort of hit that real, real briefly again. And uh, the eighth verse uh, is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope. Uh, well, the eighth verse says. Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. You know, he's saying, oh, let me help you to see this thing, Job. Now, the 12th verse, uh, he's telling him what his experience has been. The 12th verse says, Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ears received a whisper uh, uh, of it. In the fifth chapter and uh, the third verse, he says, I have seen the foolish taken root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. Uh, Job is responding uh, to that. But his, his, his observation was that it's been my experience, Job, that uh, what's happening to you is, is, is just what should happen to you. He fixed his theory, uh, and his providence of God was very narrow. Look at the fifth, the fifth chapter and verses 3 through 7. I have seen the foolish taking ruin, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. His sons are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no deliverance. And uh, uh, when we go through that to the seventh verse, uh, we just understand that he, he, he is uh, committed to his, his uh, uh, fixed theory with uh, much too narrowness for God and his providence. Another point is the rigid, inadequate theory finds his expression in number four and, and, and seven. The four and seven says, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? He said, uh, you're just guilty, uh, you're just guilty, Joe, and uh, it's applied, look at the fifth of chapter and verse 17, it's applied uh, to Joe in the 17th verse, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more uh, pure than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, and so on, he, you remember last time we talked about that Eliphaz started out and he commended. Let me, let me just remind you that for one solid week they didn't say a word when they saw him suffering. And they couldn't even recognize him because he was suffering. And then when they spoke, the scripture says they cried, they wept because of his suffering. 
And then when they saw him and they didn't recognize him and he didn't, he was another person. And when a person is suffering, he becomes not himself, he becomes another person. But these religious counselors, and they were, uh, they were a priest on the same plane as he, we find that out before we leave here. And they were trying to help him, console him. And he said, he said, you remember last time we covered it? He said, now, Job, I know that you've helped the poor, and you've done this, and you've done this, and you've commended him. And before he got through, he accused him because he didn't do that, that he had something he was hiding, and that he was a big sinner, and he ought to repent. See, he didn't understand. Now, what is the lesson that we can learn uh, from this is that he's drawing his conclusions and he says, Job, I'll tell you, the sum of this is his message was, the sum of it is you're a big old sinner. And the reason why he changed his view of crying and weeping with him is that Job spoke first. We'll talk about that later. But Job spoke and when Job spoke, he said, he said, he, he, he really cursed the day that he was born. He, he didn't have anything to live for. And they got disturbed about that because they just couldn't sit. They said, well, in our way of thinking, when a person's in the condition, he doesn't have any riches, he doesn't have any prosperity, he doesn't have his health, he's just turned against God. And so they were thinking on that line. And a lot of times, we may draw conclusions, and we need to learn that we know now, we know some things that they didn't know. They were wrong. But did you know each one of us would probably take the same position that Eliphaz did? We're quick to run to judge and to give our experience, uh, our evaluation out of our experiences like he was. Well, it's been my experience that when people turned against God and didn't live right and were sinful, well, this is what happened to them. That's just been my experience. Well, I wasn't right, but that's the way he reacted. Now let's look at Bildad. Let's take, uh, take now the speech of, of Bildad. Now, if you'll turn to chapter 8 and uh, and it's chapter 13 and chapter 15. And we were chart, uh, uh, they do not have the same air of courtesy that Eliphaz does. Bildad is the forthright declaimer. He's a, he's a reflective reasoner. He, his opening speech is, is, is really uh, observable because it's more severe than old Eliphaz. And, uh, this may be because that Job had answered Eliphaz, and he had answered him, and, and Bildad couldn't answer what he had answered him. But unlike Eliphaz, who has already spoken, he rests his philosophy and his way of life on his own observation and experience. Bildad, uh, uh, Eliphaz did, but Bildad puts it on tradition. He puts it on tradition. I think God, in his inspiration, in having this written by Moses or whoever wrote it, doesn't matter, whoever wrote it, is letting us see how we react a lot of time when we're supposed to be comforting and helping people who are in trouble. 
Let's look at chapter 8, verses 8 and 10. Just, just two verses there. For in, inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered uh, by their fathers. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are uh, a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? They say, we've had this happen to over and over people. <laughs> Job, you've taught this. You've been preaching on this. You preach this now. You just listen to yourself. Now, uh, look over at, at uh, uh, third, uh, let's see, uh, the, uh, in chapter uh, 18, you were just turn over to 18, and verses 5 through 20. Uh, the light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of the fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp beside him is put out. The steps of his strength are shortened, and his own counsel casts him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks into a snare. The net takes him by the heel, and a snare lays hold of him. And a noose is hidden for him on the ground, and a trap for him in the road. Terrors frighten him on every hand, and drive him to his feet. His strength is starved, and destruction is ready at his side, and it devours uh, patches of his skin, the firstborn of death devours his limbs, he is uprooted from the shelter of his tent, and they parade him before the king of terrors. They dwell in his tent, who are none of his. Brimstone is scattered on his uh, habitation, his roots are dried out below, and his branch withers above. The memory of him perishes from the earth, and he has no name among the renowned. He is driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. He has neither son nor posterity among the people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. Those in the west are astonished at his days, and those in the east are frightened. Now, uh, it seems to be a, a, that the wisdom, that he's using the wisdom of his days and his, his time to show uh, what is happening and what has happened to him. And he's saying this saying, Job, your people have sinned and your kids have sinned, and this thing is caught up with you. See, uh, and, and can you imagine, we're supposed to be comforting, uh, comforting a person in this. When you look at this second, uh, and through the seventh verses, of the of the chapter the third the eighth chapter that we looked at and when you look at uh, at this uh, chapter that i've just read and you look at uh, a number of things this way him you can just see that his speeches come and just reviewing all of his speeches i want you just to come uh, let's just mention one time his outlook on life is molded and limited particularly by tradition we've already seen that in these chapters that i've read but like Eliphaz, he is committed to a far too rigid a providence. Look at eight, uh, chapter 8, uh, 11 through 19. 
chapter 8, 11 through 19. Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reed flourish without water while it is yet green and not cut down? It withers before any other plant. So are the path of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off, and whose trust is a spider web. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his uh, branches spread out in his garden. His root wraps around the rock uh, heap and looks for a place wherein, if he is destroyed from his, uh, if he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, "I have not seen you." Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoer. Now the conclusion is, he, the conclusion is, Job, you're just an evil man. See? Now, Job was innocent. Job was innocent. And Job has answered, and Job will answer and say, your agenda doesn't fit. It's like a doctor coming in, I could use this, and, uh, and saying, say, you have terminal cancer. And you don't have very long to live. But the guy said, well, he said, how long do I have to live? And he said, well, now, how old are you? He said, well, I'm 43. And, he said, and the doctor comes to the, uh, to the actuary table, and he said, now, you're 43. You should, you're a man. You should live to be 78. Well, the patient said, you don't make sense. You don't make sense. You, you're not applying. That's the way it was here. See, he had a sermon that he was preaching. And his sermon was a tradition. And usually it fits. And, and he's preaching it to Job. But Job is innocent. Job is innocent. And when we see this working, uh, uh, we, we, we understand that uh, the theory, God will cast away, a, will, God will not cast away an evil man, neither will he uphold evildoers. See, so God has cast you away, so you have to be evil. It's just not logical. This theory is applied to Job and finds focus in chapter 8 and verse 6. If thou were pure and upright, surely now God would awake for thee. Now the essence is, is that Job, you're just a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Now, you can understand when Job comes back and, and he says, uh, uh, you miserable comforters, when you die, no doubt, uh, wisdom will have passed from the earth. Now, what about uh, Zophar? Zophar is the next one, and he just speaks twice. He speaks twice. And, and I'll just have to review him uh, uh, shortly because I don't have time to cover all of that. I'm just going to sum this up on Zophar. We sum him up and his views. Now, he, he is, he's really dogmatic. Now, Bildad was a traditionalist, and he said, say, this is just the way it is. This is the way it is. This is the way our teaching has been, and you need to just understand this is the way it is. 
Now, this person comes in, he's more dogmatic and he's more hitting. He, 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 I want you to look at chapter uh, 11, chapter 11 and verse 6. That he would show you the secret of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you less than you deserve. He's really dogmatic. He says, well, these guys have been easy on you. Well, let me tell you the way I feel about this, that, uh, that you're more guilty than you claim than they even recognize you to be. Now, Eliphaz and Bildad, uh, he is uh, mentally cramped by what they have said, but this person is more rigid. He is more rigid. Look at 13 and 20 of uh, chapter uh, uh, chapter 11. If you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear, because you would forget your misery. And remember, it is water and have passed away, and your life would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like the morning. And you would be secure, because there is hope. Yes, you would dig about you, and take you rest into safety, you would also lie down, and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would, would court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope loss of life. Now, you know that's real judgmental. And you know we're just that way, and I think we'd all just sort of, I think we all sort of act like these people. We're all so quick to pass judgment on people before we know where they, whether they're, where they're hurting and where they're coming from. And this is a great lesson that we need to listen to. Think about a man that had a sermon that he preached, and he probably preached it time and time again, but he came and preached it and it didn't fit. Now, if he'd have been guilty, that would have been fine. But he wasn't guilty. And Job said, I'm not guilty. I'm innocent. It's not that I haven't sinned, but he said, I haven't done the things you guys are saying that I've done. See? He wondered why God had made him a target. Look at 11 and verse 6 where he says, Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquities deserveth. Can you imagine this person being that harsh and, and that of a person who's suffering, a person who's in agonizing in pain, 
a person who's saying, I'm innocent. I haven't done these things. If I could just find God, and I could just take my case before him, and if we could just have court, and we could just have a witness, and I could just be heard. You know, Job is different now. He's not cursing the day he died. He now wants to live. He wants to be vindicated. He, he's got the drive and he's got the force behind him. He said, I, I'm innocent. And you know, Eliphaz takes the, uh, if Job were not sinful, this trouble would not have come upon him. That's the first. Bildad takes the uh, inferential attitude. He infers that Job must be sinful, seeing that the trouble has indeed come. No way you can fail that. Uh, fail to see that. Old Joel 4 begins with the assumption that Job is a sinful man and deserves affliction, and he deserves more than he gets God is good to him. He is so much worse than what uh, they said he was until uh, it, it, he, he, he got, he's gotten everything that he has. Now, all these three men are committed to what is substantially the fixed theory of life, namely the calamity, that calamity is always direct outcome of sin. And that divine favor or disfavor is indicated by a man's material prosperity or his adversity. Number two, they all, therefore, have a far too narrow, rigid view of providence, yet they are so sure that their view is right and that they look on resistance to it as resistance to God. You weren't resisting them, you were resisting God. They were right. Number three, they all wanted to prove that goodness and wickedness are always rewarded and punishment in the present life. And it just ain't so. Why do we have James? Why is Job mentioned that endurance is important? Why would we have the whole book of James then? Count it all joy when you fall into all kinds of temptations and things that make you worry. Just ask God and he'll give you, life is still that way. They are all silent concerning human destiny and divine judgment in a life beyond this present one. They don't have anything on that. From the standpoint of argument, they are all absolutely static. Although there is marked advance in thinking of Job, there is no advance at all on their part of these friends except the, they all fail to give any real or convincing answer to Job. Now, you turn to your Bible to the 32nd chapter. 
as we close. 32nd chapter. This is going to be the, the person who speaks after this. And the third and the fifth verses here. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused, because they had found no answer, and yet had condemned Job. Now I want you to get that into your mind. This is the scriptures, inspired of God, telling us something and giving us facts that's true. Now because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. Now, he's telling you what's happening. He, his observation was that they didn't answer him. Look at number five. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of those three men, his wrath was aroused. Now, he really got angry because they didn't answer Job. So Elihu, the son of Barakat, and the, the Busite, answered and said, and if you look at the 11th verse, Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. Now look at number 12. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words. They all condemned Job. Or on their philosophy, they must either justify Job of God's, at God's expense or justify God at Job's expense. And they chose to say God was right. But you know what? God did make Job a target. We know that. And Job couldn't, Job couldn't understand. He finally spoke to him. As you know, we'll cover it next time. But you know, the wonderful thing about it is that the answers weren't given. If you're reading Job and you're thinking about Job and you're thinking about suffering, really the suffering is not, we used to think that suffering, why does righteous people suffer? That's really not the real, we've gotten deeper than that now. Suffering is there, but the real thrust of this thing is, is why do people serve God? You know, he's, he's alive. He's not an idol. And the real, the real righteous person doesn't serve him for what he can give you. It's because he is God. He is our creator. And we are just his creation. And he made us to worship him. And Job cried out. 
and repented. And we won't know what he repented because he said he didn't sin. But I think before we get through, well, he didn't sin in some respects, but he sinned in some respects. But the three friends sinned, and God said they sinned, and God said they were wrong. And yet they just knew they were right. I think one of the things we conclude here that we need to be very careful when we're dealing with people that are suffering. And listen. And believe that they're coming from where they say they are. Whether they are or not. May God help us to get a lesson from this. To draw closer to God. You're here and subject to God's invitation. Come as we stand together and say.